So the legend has it, this isn't in your Bible. It's not even in the message. It's not even in the footnotes of your Bible, what I'm about to say. But it is something that Jewish people passed down over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years as the story of, of what happened when God gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. And it goes a little something like this. Whenever all the thunders and lightnings filling the sky and the voice of God comes and it's told that the voice of God came in 70 languages, 70 just meaning all the languages, everybody could get it. God spoke, in other words, God spoke and people heard. Every person heard what was spoken in a way that it made sense to her or him, young and old. And it's also said that all of the people of God, every last one of them, were necessary to be present at Mount Sinai when the word of God was given to them. Why were they all necessary to be there? It was necessary that they would all be there because God, according to the legend, not in your Bible, God gave a little letter of the Torah to each person. Every single person. Each person got a little part of the word of God so that they could not hear the fullness of what God was saying unless they were able to listen to each person. So every person was necessary to hearing the voice of God. Now that's not in your Bible. I'm not even saying that that's the way it happened. I'm not even speculating. I'm just saying the reason they tell that story is this. They believe that in order to really hear the word of God, they need to hear it from many voices. And so tonight, we continue our series, The Voices of Gen Yu. And tonight, we're going to hear the voice of the Lord coming through a young man who I posted on social media. He was 26. Apparently, he's 27. Stand corrected. He works here with us, oversees uh, our marketing, and uh, does so many things behind the scenes to make the gatherings that we have feel fluid and natural and great, and he's been a real blessing to us here, and I think he's going to be a blessing to you tonight. Would you please welcome Brandon Kirsten to bring the word to us? Who in here have I not met or has no idea who I am? Just raise your hand. Okay, a couple of you. A couple of you. That's good. That's what I wanted. Um, so I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I'm 27, not 26, Tommy, but it's all right. Um, 27 years old, grew up in a non-Christian um, military family, right? Uh, grew up, I was a pretty rough kid. I was the type of kid that you, your parents probably wouldn't let you hang out with or you wouldn't let your kids hang out with. I was just constantly getting in trouble. Um, but soccer was, was my outlet, right? So I played soccer growing up, ended up... Uh, playing soccer through high school, got a scholarship, played soccer at University of South Florida down in Tampa. So played soccer in college. Did someone just boo? Did someone just boo? Okay. Yeah, so I played, I played at University of South Florida down in Tampa. And um, after that, I went on and, and I played professionally briefly. Um, I was over in Europe, in Sweden. I played over there for three years. Uh, tore my ACL, two weeks left on my contract. Um, came back here, went to Andrews Institute, um, surgery, rehab, all that, was planning on going back. Um, but God closed some doors, uh, was, was talking with my agent, was talking with some teams, um, and at the same time, God had kind of been doing some things in my heart. 
looking at, at what I wanted to do after soccer was over. We all know sports are inevitably your time will, 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 of playing will come to an end. So I was looking, searching, what would I do when, when soccer was over? And, and God kind of closed some doors. And at the same time, um, was pulling up me to, to explore what, what ministry could look like or what, what possibly, um, what, else, what else could God have for me, right? And so, uh, like Pastor Tommy said, back in August, I started here um, helping manage the facilities and working uh, with marketing. And uh, it's been great. It's been a joy. Also, most, most nights on Wednesday nights, I'm next door with Pastor Luke. Uh, if any of you have children, I'm with middle school boys. So if you, if you have one of them, I'm usually with them on Wednesday nights. But I'm grateful to be here with you all tonight um, speaking. And uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, go ahead and, and jot down any questions you might have. We are going to do like a little interview at the end. I think any of you that have been here know that. But um, I'm going to try to keep my talk brief so we can get to the Q&A. Um, and actually, I'd call it Q&R. So you might ask a question. I definitely might not have an answer. Um, I will have a response for you. How about that? Okay. So I tell you all of this not because I want to stand up here and tell you about myself, um, but I believe it's going to help kind of contextualize what I'm going to be talking about tonight. And so my, my goal in being up here is not to be the most entertaining um, or even the best speaker that you've, you've heard in this series or, or that you will hear. Um, no, my, my, my goal tonight is that I might say something um, that would stir in you your, your love and your affections towards Christ. Um, if, that's, if that's at all possible, I would hope to, to, to create an environment where, where God would stir something in you uh, that, that, that pushes your love and your affections towards him. Towards him. And so specifically, I'm going to be talking about Christ-centered discipleship tonight. Christ-centered discipleship. So God has called us to be disciples, right? God has called us to go into the world preaching, um, preaching the word, baptizing, um, and teaching, teaching others to, to obey his, all his ways, right? He's commanded this. But there's, there's obstacles to the gospel, right? There's obstacles. We live in a, a broken and fallen world, and, and these obstacles are, are, are everywhere. And so, so what am I talking about when I say when I say affections, right? I'm not talking about this just mushy, gushy, uh, weird feeling, right? I'm talking uh, in, in, in a way that, that, that we interact with God, right? And I believe we, we interact with God on, a, on a multiple, multiple levels, right? In multiple ways we interact with God. Our, our whole being, who we are, our aura interacts with God. Um, so so in, a, in a couple ways, right? I would say orthodoxy. Right? So orthodoxy is, is right thinking, our theology about who God is. Right? So what do we think about sanctification? What do we think about the Trinity? This is our, our theology, our orthodoxy. Right? This is how we think about God. So that's one way we interact with God. Our orthopraxy, right? our practice. We come to church on Sundays. We read our Bibles. We pray. This is how we are right acting, our, our, our acting in regards to, to God. And one that often gets forgotten, right? orthopathos, or our right feeling towards God. How do we feel about God? Can you, can you do something, can you go through the motions without feeling anything? Can you see a brother or sister hurting and not feel anything? This is, this is orthopathos, right? So to simplify this, I'm going to say your head, right? Your head, your hands, and your heart, 
This is how we interact with God, our heads, our hands, and our heart. Okay? And so I would, I would suggest for us tonight that, that our affections and our love towards Christ interacts in a, in a more holistic approach besides just this mushy-gushy feeling that we have towards God. So all three of these things are, are linked closely together. Sometimes our, our heads tell us that we need to do something, but our hearts aren't there. Right? Sometimes we know we're supposed to do something, we do it, and then, and then the understanding comes. Or sometimes you know, your, your, your heart just tells you to do something, you don't know why. Right? And, and, and at certain times, these, these things can fluctuate and we can interact with, with God um, in, in these different ways. At least, at least that's how it's been for me. And so when, when I'm talking about discipleship in this regard, it's interesting because these are all areas of our lives where, where we can fall short, right? Our head, our hands, our heart. We can, we can fall short in, in all of these areas and, and sin is pulling at us in all of these areas, right? I think if we're being honest, all of us can feel that at times. And so discipleship is how we combat that, right? And, and Pastor Tommy posed us this question, what has God been doing in your life? That was the only framework he gave us for speaking tonight, the only framework. So I wrestled with that question. I wrestled with that question. It forced me to, to sit and self-analyze, well, well, what has God been doing? You know, what, is, what has God been doing? I got saved in college. So it was what, seven, eight years ago for me now? Uh, wh what has God been doing in my life? And, and as I, I'm reflecting on that and I'm analyzing that, I'm, I'm looking and I'm seeing, oh, well, well God has caused me just to, to further that walk, that discipleship walk. I'm just a little bit further along in that walk, in that journey, right? And so with that, all areas of my life now with this walk, all areas of my life, I've, I've begun to view through a gospel lens. To view through a gospel lens. And, and, and what do I mean when I say that? I mean, the gospel isn't simply a tool for salvation alone, right? Gospel isn't a tool simply to come to Christ and get into heaven. No, the gospel is a tool for us right here and right now that we can apply to our lives, right? And so viewing the world through this lens, and how the gospel applies to any and every situation has been how God has been, been transforming my life over the past seven or eight years. And the, the question is, how do we do this and how do we do it well? Two weeks ago, um, actually to this day, two weeks ago I was, I was next door. Um, Pastor Luke was, was out of town. I think he was on a cruise. So I was, I, was talking to, I was talking to the middle schoolers and high schoolers and we started a new series. It was called Explosion. And it was talking about the, the change that can happen in kids' lives, uh, the explosive change when they come to faith, right? And so a lot of this is tied up into um, that, that, that feeling, right, that emotion that they get or that we all get when we come to faith. And so it's the zeal, the passion, right? In Spanish, they say ganas, it's desire, if any of you know Spanish. Um, But it's more than just being excited in the Lord, right? So you get this, you get this, and then you have this passion, and you're going and you're doing stuff, and you don't even know what you're doing half the time, but you're passionate about the Lord. That's how it was for me, right? I, I knew nothing. Grew up in a non-Christian home. You know, Jesus took hold of my heart or started planting seeds in my heart, 
um, in college, and who I was didn't just fall away immediately, right? Like I was still jacked up and messed up in a lot of ways, but no matter, but, but what, what did change was, was that zeal, that passion, that desire that I had for Christ. I could still be out doing horrible things or, or still thinking incorrectly, but, but God had planted a seed and began to change. I began to have a desire for him to know who he was. And that was the seed that planted that change. And so we, we, see, we see a clear depiction of this in, in Romans 10, right? Romans 10, uh, verses 2 through 4. So this is, this is Paul talking. He says, For I bear them witness. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So in this, it's important to see it's not ourselves that we can achieve anything of value, of worth. It's only through Christ giving us knowledge of, of his righteousness. It's, it's not of our own doing. And, and, and resting in that fact and, and seeing that fact clearly, we can know that, that, that we don't have to rely on ourselves. We don't have to white-knuckle our way through discipleship. We don't have to white-knuckle our way through this journey, this, this faith journey. But how can we be sure that we're in step with the Spirit, right? That we're not walking foolishly. Zealously, you have the passion, you have the desire, but how can you be sure you're not walking foolishly, as it said in Romans 10? And so for me, the answer's been tough, but it's been real, right? And it's, it's being open, and it's allowing people to speak into your lives, or speak into my life. And that's, that's, that's not easy, but it's the truth for, for how I think that God is, has used discipleship in my life. So he's, he's placed people in my life that, that I've been able, when, when early on I was able to just experience them applying the gospel, right? Experience them living that reality out. And then he's placed people in my life that, that have been able to, to, to come close and have the hard conversations to call me out at times. And so I, I don't know where you're at. Maybe, maybe you're at a point where you, need, you just need more exposure. You need more exposure. You need to just be around things of faith more. You need to be around people applying the gospel to their lives so you can see what that's like. If you don't see, you don't know, right? Or maybe you need people to walk alongside you and to speak into your life and, and where it goes deeper than just things that you're doing, but it goes into your head and into your heart. Maybe you're there. I don't know, but, but we, can see, we can see in Acts 18, one of the clearest examples um, of this in the, in the Bible. It's, it starts in, um, in verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the apostles, to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who, by grace, had believed. 
for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So what was happening is Priscilla and Aquila saw a brother who was zealous for the Lord, right? But he wasn't, he wasn't getting it 100% right. He had that passion. He had that fire for the Lord. But, but somewhere along the way, he had, he had strayed off in, in one of those areas, right? His head, his hand, his heart. He was doing things out of step with the gospel. So they did the loving thing, right? They took him aside and they corrected him. This is the, the Matthew 18 model. We see a brother or sister in Christ sinning. We have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them. If they do not respond, bring one or two other brothers or sisters with them and have that conversation. If that still does not go, I'm paraphrasing, but if that still doesn't go well, you bring it forward to the church, right? That's the model if we see our, a brother or sister sinning. And so I want to make a little remark here, just a little caveat, a little side note. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this. So we, we, we don't get to tell non-believers how to live. And I'm, I'm preaching this to myself as much as I'm, I'm saying this to you guys. We don't, we don't get to tell non-believers how to live. Um, Priscilla and Aquila went to a brother in Christ and corrected him. Um, if, if someone is, is, is not of the faith, then, then we have no right to, to tell them how to live. All we are called to do is love them and share the gospel with them and hope that, that God does something in their heart and changes something in their heart. Yeah. But going back to Apollos, it's important to see how he reacted, right? So Priscilla and Aquila went to him and he adjusted. He adjusted. That's the sign of a mature believer. So maybe if someone comes to you and you're walking and tries to correct something, we need to think about that. Are we quick to be defensive? Or can you be humbly corrected? Um, it's been a, that's been a hard lesson for me. Um, but I've, I've loved, I've loved the, the, the brothers that have come alongside me and had those conversations, those hard conversations with me when I needed to have them. And so we can see this as, as simply reactive, right? Your brother sins, you need to correct him. I would, I would submit for us tonight that, that we could also see it as, as proactive, could you speak into a brother or sister's life before, you know, can, can you just be in their lives? Can you be speaking into their lives constantly where it's not always just correction, but it's also teaching or discipleship, right? Can we speak into each other's lives? Can we, can we, can we build an environment where there's that trust and honor and love for each other? Can we have the hard conversations? Can we create the spaces to have those hard conversations. That's the challenge for us, right? To lean into this. To lean into this. To, 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 trust the to trust the gospel and not trust ourselves. The gospel isn't merely a tool for salvation. It's not. We can apply it for our, our lives now. So where do I stand with this? I stand in a tension, right? I stand in this tension. I stand in this tension of, of hopeful realism, hopeful realism, understanding there's a brokenness of this world, of this sinful world, but being hopeful, right? When my sister died in, in a car accident in 2014, that's low, that's broken, but you can, you can maintain hope through those situations. That's hopeful realism. When you're in the highest of highs, right? When I found out my parents who weren't believers, they got saved in this church, right? I found that out, and that's the highest of highs, yet knowing 
sin is lurking right around the corner. That's hopeful realism, right? So I had a, I had a coach who, who used to say this to us all the time. He said, don't get too high and don't get too low, right? That's, that's, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at in my, in my faith walk and in my faith journey. It's hopeful realism, and that's, that's where I stand today. And, um, if you would, I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to pray with you. So, God, I, I just glorify you, and I just ask that, that you use tonight to open conversations that would point people clearly to you, that would point people um, to who you are and glorify you and not ourselves, God. Yes, we trust you. And we trust your ways, Lord, and we honor you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just say thank you to him for bringing the word to us tonight. Yeah, I hope you guys wrote questions because I was actually more excited about this part. So if you didn't, start thinking. Well, I heard some things, and I actually heard something that I'd never heard before. And I've heard a lot of things. Um, I heard about a Christ-centered disciple is one who has head and heart and hands integrated, right? That the gospel isn't, the gospel is not a message that we preach in order to get people into eternal life. It's a message that we preach to get eternal life into people. So that they're living a life where the head and the heart and the hands are integrated, right? Yeah. I have that right. Okay. I heard orthodoxy, right beliefs. I heard orthopraxy, right behaviors. And then I heard one that I'd never heard before. You rounded out the Trinity for me. So is it orthopathos? Yeah. Pathos? Yeah. If you, I don't know how to say it, but that's how it's yeah. spelled, so. Yeah. Okay. So that it's, it's aligning the mind and the heart and the behaviors. That's a whole self. Yeah. 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 That's rich. So that's the goal. That's a whole human. I think as much as, I mean, you talked about this, you talked about this in our staff meeting on Monday a little bit, right? You talked about the, the analogy of the spirit or the anatomy of the spirit. Oh, you have to remind me. Huh? You have to remind me what I said. Oh, yeah. You said this in the, in the staff meeting. You were talking about, you, you were talking about the anatomy of a spirit and it being more holistic. And I think, I think oh, it's along that same sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's, uh, it's not like we can thin slice the inner life and go, okay, there's the heart, there's the mind, there's the soul, like there's the, you know, it's the whole thing is working together. I think that, they, that there is something going on there. I, I just don't think that we can go, okay, here's the mind, here's the heart, there's the soul. But what we're doing is we're trying to get the will and the mind the, the emotions, we're trying to get that all aligned. And that's what the spirit does, right? Yeah. So I'd never heard of uh, orthopathos before. Um, so I thought that that was, I thought that was good. One of the things I heard somebody say is that when you're troubled in your mind, retreat to your heart. When you're troubled in your heart, retreat to your actions. When you're troubled in your actions, retreat. And you can... Yeah. You can go there. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, in different ways. I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of truth in that, right? Um, at, at times, at times we don't want to do things. I know at times I don't want to do things. I don't, 
feel the desire to read, right? Let's just use, let's use that as an example of a practice that, that I know is good for my, my soul, for my spirit, to read God's word. I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. Yet, I, I, I do it, and I pray then that God changes my heart, my attitude towards it, towards it. Um, I think yours was much more in-depth than that because it, it had each one, it had a, uh, I guess, a reactionary way to... Well, it, you know, there are mornings where I don't want to read the Bible. Um, you know, they're rare. There was this morning, then there was Monday. Um, and there was Saturday. <laughs> think of it. But it's just, it's a hard time. Uh, but sometimes the energy just isn't there. The desire just isn't there to read the Bible. Right. Okay? And to be honest with you, I, I'm on a track. Okay? I'm on a track to where I'll read the Bible in nine months. Why will it take me nine months? Because I kind of took off the first three. Right? So I wanted to do it in a year. I was like, let's make up for lost time. Turns out my, my like, I like the Bible in nine months. So this morning, I'm being honest, this morning I got up. I really just wanted to read the Gospel of John. I didn't want to go through my normal regimen. Okay? I thought, got to get to Jeremiah, though. He's so depressed, right? He's just so, he's just killing me. Him and Ecclesiastes, half of Isaiah. It's my favorite book in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes. Well, so, good. <laughs> and so, here's what I did. I just put it on, I put my speaker on, and I just listened to it while I was in the shower. That's great. Let the Word of God wash over me. That's great. But when I'm really, when I really don't want to read the Bible, I retreat to my heart, I grab my guitar, and I pray as I play. And I think that you can do like some spiritual judo. You're getting jacked up in your head, retreat to your heart. Put on some, put on some Bethel, put on some elevation, put on some gaithers, right? Whatever you got, just go for it. I'd say genuine worship, but. Put on some, put on some Charlie Perkins. Yeah, Charlie Perkins is the way to go. Talk to me about hopeful realism a little bit more. Yeah. It kind of, I mean, you threw that out there. At the you end, have a couple I'm, of examples, and then you're just like, you'll have to wait for the sequel. Yeah, that's it. That's it, man. Um, I, I don't remember where I first heard that, that terminology, and maybe that's why I didn't expand on it too much. Um, but it, it popped back in my mind um, kind of when I was preparing for this tonight, and uh, I'm not exactly sure why. I'm not exactly sure why. I haven't thought of that term in a, in, in a long time. Um, but it's, it's, and I, I've, I've talked, I think, with you about this before, but, but holding these tensions, right, these tensions, and I think often in the world, the, the best things are pulled from opposite directions, right? And that's, I'm not just talking spiritual, I'm talking... What do you mean? Tell me so, so the best things are pulled, let me try to think of an example. The best things are pulled from opposite directions. Ah, I can't think of an example right now. Um, well, just keep talking more about it. It'll make sense. To sure, me. sure. <laughs> to me. So, uh, can you can you um, uh, can you be? Well, let's talk about hopeful realism because I think that one's pulling from somewhat opposite directions. Can yeah. you can you be hopeful? Yeah. Right. Can you hold on? Yeah. To hope in in the midst of tragedy yeah. when you're lowest. It makes sense. And then uh, in in your highs, in your highs, can you can you remember um, the realities of, of the, the, the brokenness of the fallen world around us. It's, it reminds me of somebody said that anytime you're close to paradox, you're close to truth. Like you're close that, that par- when you have these two things that seem paradoxical, it's yeah. like God is, 
You know, if God is just and God is merciful. Mm-hmm. Or if God is transcendent and God is imminent, God is close. And anytime we're talking about life with God, we're, if we're just talking in one side of the thing and, and we're not talking about the other side of the thing, then we're, we're probably not getting the whole thing together. And that's why some people give up on, you know, the whole deal. Yeah. They're just like, ah, the Bible contradicts itself. Well, no, life is complex, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have another example. Um, think, about, think about, like, often work, work that we do, right? So a lot of it's heady, right, this space. Yep. This space. What, what is your ideology about how you're going to do your work? Say, say marketing, for, for example. Yeah. Oh, I have these ideas that I want to do. Uh-huh. And then another side of it is like, oh, you actually got to do the grunt work, right? Like these are, these are things that are pulling from, from opposite directions. So up here in the headspace and down here at the, at the ground level of like, oh, actually executing, doing the work. So hopeful realism, what makes you hopeful about the next generation? Ah, uh, love it. I love it, man. The, the fact that... <laughs> That the God of yesterday is the God of today and is the God of tomorrow. That um, in the midst of, of, of all the issues that, <laughs> that we have to, to walk through with, with the kids next door. Um, it's, a, it's, it's different from even when I grew up and I'm 27, right? Like they have, they have different realities that they have to walk through. And, and, and going off of that, like those realities are, are different based on the environment they're from, right? Like someone from, someone from the hood in Miami has very different realities than someone growing up in Niceville. And so our job in discipleship is to, to hopefully equip them for those realities of the world around them, but, but to be able to apply the gospel to it. And so that's hopeful realism to me. And what do you see in them in terms of characteristics or qualities? These are general, right? Sure. What are some of the things you're seeing in these? And there's not really a name for them. We've gone beyond Gen Xers into Millennials, and now there's a thing on the other side they're of the just thing. my little friends. Gen I. Just my little buddies. Yeah. Just my homies on Snapchat. That's it. What's Snapchat, man? I don't have one of those. I, I deleted it. So it's like Facebook for young people, yeah, right? They use TikTok now. I mean, Never heard of it. Yeah. All right. Your daughter probably has it. So. She doesn't have it. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so what are some so what are some uh, what are some traits that we see in them, or, or what? Yeah, I think it gives you hope. What gives me hope? What gives me hope, man? That, that 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 kids are coming to faith, and kids are slowly but surely. You know, we we the way the way we do the way Pastor Luke does Wednesday nights over there is we'll present we'll present a message to them, and it's it's about an idea, right? Or it's about so we'll present the gospel to them in some way some way. Um, usually it's about 20, 25 minutes um, of some sort of lecture or preaching. And then we go into small groups, right? We go into small groups and that's where real work happens. That's where we can level with them. That's where we can hopefully get them to apply whatever it was that we were talking about to their lives. And so sometimes that goes well and sometimes that doesn't, but, but seeing I'm with middle school boys, so seeing middle school boys, even since I've been here, go from just wanting to goof off and and not talk about anything to to having real questions. Having real questions. We had a kid um, last week ask us, this wasn't on our list of questions, he was just like, "If, if I do sin, but I don't know it's wrong, is it still sin? And it's like, a year ago, and I couldn't get kids to, to sit still, and, and now 
I can see God working in their lives. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what gives me hope. What did you tell them? I said, I don't know, man, read your Bible. Uh, we, we had a good discussion. I'm thinking as sin is not taken into account where there is no law, and yet the law of God is written on your heart. I think you're hosed, bro. <laughs> I think it, I think. No, we had a good discussion so, about it, actually. It was good. Uh, so you are, uh, you know, it, it occurred to me as I introduced you as a young man, and I thought I'm officially an old man. Uh, what, what is it that, that people like, how do I say this? When, you, when your generation comes to church, not this church, I'm just speaking generally. You have friends that are from all over. You have friends that are here tonight, right? When your generation thinks about church and then they're like, ah, I'm out. What, what, is it that they're, what is it that they're recoiling against? That's a good question, man. Um, because that's happening more and more, the rise of the nuns. Yeah. I'm not talking about like women with habits. I'm talking about like yeah. the N-O-N-E-S. Yeah, man. Honestly, I don't know. It breaks my heart is what it does. Um, and like I told you, I lived in, I lived in Sweden before. Uh, I lived in Sweden for three years, and Sweden's a very, very secular country. Um, you don't, if you say you're a Christian there, like, you're a Christian. Yeah. Um, it's, just, it's just the way it is. Um, and so I think we're, we're going down that path. We're, um, it's hopeful realism, right? The, 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 the realism of, of the fact that, that, that the world may get worse before Jesus comes, right? It may, um, that, that there, there is brokenness, um, there is sin, but, uh, but still holding on to the hope that, that Jesus hasn't come yet, so he's gonna save, he's gonna save more, and he still has work to do here on this earth, and um, yeah, he wants to use us in it. There's, it seems like community is a big, it's a big thing, right? Yeah. And you're part of the home group. You attend yeah. Joyce and Charles's home group, and then yes. you're part of Luke and Kira's Tuesday, Thursday night youth leader group, or whenever they yeah. met. Yeah, met. Yeah, yeah. It just wrapped up. You're probably a part of other groups. Sure. Out of it. What is it about that community that's so precious to you? What does we're, it do for you? Man, we're all crying out. We're all crying out for it. Right, like we we were not made, we were not made to be alone. That's in Genesis, right? Like the the first thing was, what what does it say in Genesis? It's like bad to be alone. Or I think it says it's not good for man to be alone. Yeah, which I think it's okay for a woman to be alone because Liz is like, just honey, go somewhere for a weekend. <laughs> I'm fine. That's great. That's great. So so I think internally we, we all cry out for for community, but um, with the rise in communication or with technology and the rise of uh, the speed that everything happens and the rise of entertainment where we're just constantly entertained, our brains are constantly stimulated. We don't, we don't know how to, um, to navigate the realities of, of finding community, right? And we talk about it, I talk about it with my friends all the time, like it's, it's hard to make friends, like if, you don't, if, you don't, if you're not part of a church, if you're not, if you don't have some, once you get out of school, you don't have a built-in framework to interact with people. So, so what are you gonna do? Are you just gonna go to like the pumpkin patch and just hope you bump into somebody? Or like, like what are you gonna do? The of all the places. I don't know why I thought of that. Is it where Christians go to meet? 
I don't know. It's like, it's like Christian, Christian Mingle down at the pumpkin Christian patch. Christian Mingle at the pumpkin hey guys, patch in real life. Just here for a pumpkin and a date. That's it. That's it. But so, so I think we're, we're all crying out for it, right? Um, and, and I think a lot of what I talked about tonight is why I find it so valuable because it shaped who I am. It shaped who I am, and um, I have had people speak into my lives. I've had people that probably don't even know their role models to me be role models to me um, in places. You know, when I first started going to church and I first started doing this thing, um, walking with God or attempting to, I would sit in the back. I would cross my arms, not worship. I didn't know anything, man, and I was too cool to be in church, but just that exposure of seeing people, right? People inviting me into their homes. People inviting me to, to walk along life with them. And I'm talking, you know, married couples that had young kids where it wasn't easy to have a single college guy over for dinner, but were willing to pour into my life. And um, that's why community is important to me, man, because it's, it's shaped who I am and I believe in it. I believe in it. That's awesome. Uh, what questions might be out there? I've got a pile more, but what questions? Are floating around out there. Do we have any? No questions, comments, feedback. The question you were wanting to ask, I'll ask it. You ready? Do you think I could pull off a man bun? Yes or no? Yes. Are you lying? If you kept the beard, definitely. If I kept the beard, beard with a man bun. So I have one more question for you, for real. Yes. What's the big question that you're wrestling with? Because you're a thoughtful person. And I think it came out in your talk tonight that, like, this is real to you. This is real to you. You, you remind me, like, you're, 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 uh, you, you would probably go all the way for Jesus, you know? Like, you're, I, I, I could see you rolling with the first century disciples, you know? And just living it out. What, what's the what's the thing that you're brooding over right now? Is it about call? Is it about what's the big question? Sure. I mean, call, calling some of it, calling some of it, but I, I wouldn't say that that's that's like burning. That's not that's not necessarily burning in me. I think that is a, that is a constant question I have. Is um, we're all called to 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 be disciples and to minister to the world around us, right? So that's my calling, how I apply it, or how I do that, what's my vehicle to do that. That may change, and I'm okay with that. I hold all that loosely. But the, the, burning, the burning question for me, if I, if I had one, is just, it's just how to, um, how to effectively, effectively display the gospel to people, how to how to speak into people's lives, how to develop relationships um, well. Um, I don't even know if that's a question or if that answers. Uh, it just seems like the thing that's consuming you is what you've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe, maybe, maybe it's what's on my mind. Ask me next week and I might have well, a different No, I mean, the overflow of your heart comes out in your mouth, sure, right? Sure. So um, I just want to say it's a privilege to work with you. It's a privilege to bump into you and grab a cup of coffee and just to hear where you're at, you know, and I, I learn and I glean and I'm challenged by, by your life. It provokes me to righteousness. And so I think that your words and the spirit that you are in this room says to us, 
you know, where are we in our orthodoxy or the praxis or the pathos? Are we rolling integrated? Yeah. So thank you. No, thank you, man. Grateful, man. Thank you so much. All right. Some people are still wondering, what is a man bun? It's okay. You have no idea what's about to happen. And I kind of don't even want to tell you. Quinn Shearer is rolling up onto the stage right now, my friends. And uh, she is 86 and just getting started. And I am delighted, honored. My God. Holy moly. Quinn Shearer, it'll speak for itself. Just welcome, thank God. Okay. Well, you've heard from the youngest of the young, and now you're going to hear from the oldest of the old. Still young. <laughs> well, I'll be 87 in four months. So let's pray. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> Some of my home groups here, I'm so proud of you. And my prayer partner back there, Lilia, is there at the book table, and we'll talk about that later. Listen, I loved to have a 27-year-old up here that talks about your head and your heart. Oh, my goodness, in your hand. Sunday, we sang this song, Let the Young See Visions and Let the Old Dream Dreams, and that's what we're going to do tonight. So thank you, because God can do a new thing, and it's a new day. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to come here tonight. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Come and anoint my words. Help me to communicate clearly what I believe you want me to say. And Lord, give each one of us a key to help encourage others and to pray for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I come to you tonight to talk to you about standing in your bean patch, and that is your sphere of influence. I probably was chosen because I'm probably one of the oldest warriors in here. And I told you I'll soon be 87. And I come to you as a senior citizen, originally from Walton County. <clears throat> I am also a grandmother, a widow, a cancer survivor, a former newspaper reporter and magazine writer from Kennedy Space Center area where my husband spent 20 years as a NASA engineer. But my life drastically changed 47 years ago when I was visiting my mother in Destin went to a little Episcopal church and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I hope that each and every one of you have experienced the empowering of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't, don't leave this church without receiving it because this is one place you can come to receive the Holy Spirit. Well, I went on from receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit after that to speak to folks in 12 nations, and 46 of the United States, as well as 375 radio and TV stations. I did it only because God opened the door through a woman's, mag a woman's 
organization called Women's Aglow, and there are a lot of Women's Aglow girls in here from 35 and 40 years ago that I recognize. But God opened that door. I served in Aglow in many, in many years, in many capacities, all the way to the International Board in Seattle. But the main thing I saw about that was I wrote a book called How to Pray for Your Children, and women around the world want to know how to pray for their children. And so that book that Aglow published went into eight languages, and that is what opened the doors for me from Tokyo to Copenhagen. And it's God, not me, but it's the fact that each and every one of us have a gift and a talent that we should use for however way God wants to use it. So those doors opened. I'm an ordinary woman. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and I thank God for what he did for me. I have four passions. My passion number one is prayer, and mainly <clears throat> because I think that God needs a whole army of people to pray for families and to pray for this nation. And I call forth women to come on forth and let's continue to pray for the, those two things. The next thing is, and I always say, whenever I come back from a country, God bless America, land that I love. I almost want to kiss the ground when I come back to this country. And, and I, <clears throat> I try, number two, as far as loving my country, I try to be a responsible voter and call my congressman. <laughs> and I hope, I hope all of y'all know how to do that. Number two is standing in the gap for the younger generation, brother. <laughs> I want to see them do exploits for God that we weren't able to do in my generation. And the next thing is I want them, I want them to realize what their destiny is and then go on and get it done. We're going to push them to get it done. Then the next thing I have as far as my passion is for the widows and the, and the older generation because so many of them have loneliness, financial challenges, health and transportation issues, and senior citizens, many of us out here, whether you're married or single, we face lots of challenges, but we also have gifts and talents we need to share with the next generation. They just gotta ask us. We're just right here ready. Now, I just finished this year, oh, and my last one, personally, is for me to finish the race that God called me to do. I think all of us want to finish the race he's called us to do. Well, I just finished this year, at my age, I just finished my 31st book, and it's going to be the most important book I've ever written because it's nothing but prayers. It's prayers for how to pray for your family, prayers for how to pray for this nation. And I'm so excited about, it will be out in May for Mother's Day because it's called Warfare Prayers for Women. And the thing about it is, in the last section, we got 16 prayers on how to pray for America. And we start out praying for your pastor. And we go all the way down from the president, all the way down for Hollywood, all the way down to the preborn, all the way down for the first responders. We cover lots of territory, and I'm so excited. And it comes with this book, and I'll show you in a minute, A Woman's Guide to Spiritual Warfare, which is still out there in the airports and some of the grocery stores. So this is going to be a companion book to it. You know, when I was thinking about a glow, uh, when I came to this church, um, uh, Jane Davis came up to me and said, Hey, when we were stationed in England, I read your book, How to Pray for Your Children, and I taught it all over the military bases. And I thought, Wow, wasn't that a, a coincidence, a God, a God connection? I was so glad to know that. 
So now, my books all have practical and scripture prayers because I believe in the word of God to be prayed. So now, having a, as Tommy's preached one time on having a specific time and place to meet God, very necessary. But we have to pray all through the day because Paul said pray continually. And that means when you, I call it when I'm in an intersection, I can pray intercession. <laughs> I want to talk to you about how I pray for my bean patch. And what my bean patch is, is two boards in my, I have a little office part in my bedroom. And I have two boards of people that I pray for. Pastor's on that list. Pastor's on there. I pray for <clears throat> I pray for businessmen and women, missionaries, single women, uh, men that are, uh, it's just a variety of 28 people that are on that board. But here's the thing. I want you to hear this one scripture as to why we pray. Paul said to Timothy, I urge first of all, 1 Timothy 2, 1, I urge you, first of all, request prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all in authority, that you may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. Then to the Ephesians, listen to, listen to these alls. In Ephesians, he said, Ephesians 6, 19, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit, and with all perseverance and petition, pray for all the saints. That's a lot of alls, isn't it? And so what's your bean patch? My bean patch is my family, my friends, the city, because <clears throat> we read in Jeremiah 29, pray for the city where I've sent you into exile, for in its peace, in its shalom, in its welfare, in its prosperity, will you have peace. So it's very important that we pray for the city where we live. It's very important we pray for our nation where we live and also to pray for the country God puts on our heart. I want to tell you what mine was. When I was 12 years old, God put on my heart Russia. I was six, in my 60s before I got to go to Russia. But I went with 18 Aglow women, and Aglow women believe in worship, praying in tongues, and prayer. So when we went and we ministered in orphanages, we ministered in uh, homes for alcoholic women, we ministered lots of places, but then we got to Red Square. On a Sunday morning, there was nobody else at Red Square but us 18 American aglow women. And standing there at Red Square, I found out where old Lennon was buried over there in that tomb from all those years ago, that communist. I took this Bible. This Bible's falling apart. I took this Bible. I went over there where Lennon was buried. I shouted in Red Square. Linen is dead, but Jesus Christ is alive. Yeah. Bible's falling apart, but it's been a lot of places. So, that was my country. Now, this is how I pray for my family. See, these are the five P's I pray. I pray for God's presence to come, for his provision, for his protection, for his peace, and for his precious promises to be fulfilled. That's one thing I pray every single morning for my family, children and grandchildren. Now, also on my prayer board, <coughs> I have uh, this prayer board here. On this wall, I got a four-foot map of the world, and then I got a map of the United States. 
So when I see something on TV, I need to go lay my hands on that country that's happening. That's just the way I am. That's not the way you are. You have to get the way God has created you to be, to pray the way you've been called to pray. But then I also think that uh, we have special scripture prayers that we pray. Now the next thing that is so important to me is a prayer partner. I highly recommend you get a prayer partner. Based on the prayer of agreement in Matthew 18, it says, and I know I found this to be true, I need one or more prayer partners who will share my burdens, my concerns, and not share them with anybody else, that they will be confidential. And that is so important. And the other thing is strengthening me, as somebody else is praying for me, is to rejoice with me when the prayers are answered. We want to rejoice with one another. And I'm so glad that Lilia, she's back at my book table, but she is one of my local prayer partners, but I have two others I pray with every day on the phone, one in Birmingham and one in Tallahassee. And so God has knit me. But let me tell you what, what, how it happened. I had a friend, my husband was at Kennedy Space Center, and <clears throat> my friend in the church was named Liv. And Liv and I came together and agreed that at every single weekday morning we would pray at 8 o'clock for our family for five minutes. We did that for 17 years. And I'm telling you, we saw many, many miracles. She died at Mother's Day a couple of years ago, and they said they, the preacher got up and read some of the testimony I'd written about her in some of my books because we finally got her baptized in the Holy Ghost. She fought it a long time. But, <laughs> but, but what I want you to see, that what I miss the most about my husband, he's been gone 10 years, but he and I prayed for 30 years every single morning together. And the way it started was our pastor on one Father's Day said, I'm challenging you fathers to give your children the gift of you and your wife praying together every, he, first he started out once a week, and then he said, I want you to build up till it's every day of the week that you pray together because you're gonna help your family by praying. And so my husband, that's one thing that I really, I really miss. And every day he would, he would turn to Isaiah 11 and call out our children and later our grandchildren's names as he would pray for the spirit of the Lord to be upon them, the, the spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and strength and the reverential fear of the Lord. That was one scripture, and I have his prayer journals left that are so precious to me. Now, I want to give you a scripture for those that don't know Jesus, and all of us have in our bean patch people yet have not come into the kingdom of God. But this is a scripture a mother shared with me that her pastor told her when her granddaughter had run away from home. And it's, look at me, it's a V for victory. Second Timothy, second chapter, last two verses. So can you remember that? Second Timothy. <laughs> and, then, and so this is what it says. God grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth that they can come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So praying for our nation, I use the Intercessors for America prayer guide that's emailed to me every two to three days, and it has a summary of the news and how they suggest that you might, wanna, might want to focus on prayer. So when I, my husband was uh, the engineer at Kennedy Space Center 20 years, I was a newspaper reporter. I covered most all of the space launches. Uh, 
the church beat, the school beat, I did it. But I didn't go to work until my kids were all in school. And uh, <laughs> the thing I did when I was young and had young kids, I went to the older women in that church and I asked them to mentor me. I had one mentor me in this and another one mentor me and it was practical and spiritual. And I wanna tell you, one of the women that did was named Mary Jo Looney. I went to her. She, she had the gift of decorating, and they decorated in her ministry time 1,000 homes free of charge <coughs> with her seamstresses going in and decorating those homes. But she mentored me, and when she was 90 years old, I got in a car, drove 450 miles to go see her, and she was still mentoring younger women. And it so touched me that for 30 years, even though I moved to many places after that, she never forgot my birthday and always sent me a card with a $2 bill in it. I got a stack this high of Mary Jo's bills that I can remember. And this is what we would say to each other. It's what Jesus said that's in the book of Luke. To whom much is given, much is required. And to each of us, to whom much is given, God's requiring much of us. I don't believe any of our experiences in life are wasted. The Israelites were asked to remember their past and they sometimes left memorial stones at the places to mark the spot where God moved mightily for them. So this summer I had two memorial stone experiences where God brought back some precious memories to me. In June, I attended a two-day prayer meeting in Tallahassee to pray for the state of Florida. There were Christians there from around the state, from Key West to Pensacola, many, many pastors from Tallahassee, and praying women who go regularly into the governor's office to pray there. And at the last night, Dutch chiefs who had come from another state and saw me in the audience called me up to close out the meeting. He said, Quinn, give us a little taste of what it was like in Tallahassee, because I went, finished high school and college there. I said, let me tell you what, to see all these young people here, and these older pastors too. I said, in the 1950s, while I was in school here, guess what? I used to go, I was a journalism student, so I would have to go to cover the legislature, but I didn't just cover the legislature. I went up in those balconies above the legislature where they're meeting, and I started praying for them. So in the 50s, I started praying for the legislature. And so I closed out that meeting, and what was so exciting to me was to see all those people crying out for God to move on the state of Florida. Because at the time I went to college, I worked for Florida State Advertising Division and worked every night waiting tables. Now this July, I had the privilege of going to Washington, D.C. to pray for the nation. I went with a prayer gathering of the Deborah Company composed of women leaders from many denominations, mostly from the U.S., but from other places too. And I not only, and it was, oh, hundreds and hundreds of women. And they called me up one of the last nights to pray for them. I said, do you know how old I am? They said, yes, you're the oldest one here. Come on up here. <laughs> so I started calling those young women. I just called them in. I did, prayed their destiny over them. I said, listen, you're going to go out there and you're going to do more for us, for you coming to, you know, you coming to Washington. And then we had a stage like this, huge stage. And there was a replica of the Capitol dome, and I turned toward that thing and I laid some prayers on them congressmen, I can tell you that. <laughs> and so, as I was thinking about it, I was saying, I was walking down off the stage and suddenly God gave me one of those memory stones, 
66 years earlier, I had lived in Washington, D.C., and I had worked at the Pentagon till the Korean War was over. I dropped out of college. Because you see, in those days, nobody talks about the Korean War, but in those days, all the boys in our high school class got either drafted or they had to join up. In fact, I have a boy's name and they tried to draft me twice. I didn't go. <laughs> but us girls, after two years of college, we decided we need to do something for the war effort. So we took that typing test and we got on a train packed with servicemen and we went to Washington and we declared we were going to stay till the Korean War was over. And I was thinking about that, that God was so gracious to let me go back at my age to stand before hundreds of young people that had come here, women who'd come here to pray for the United States of America. And I thank God for every one of the milestones, milestones, memory stones that God gives us. But I want to tell you, some years ago, I was headed from Colorado to Virginia to do a Christian TV interview show. We had to change planes in Chicago, and when I got off, there was a young man on the plane. I had been on my plane waiting for me in the sky, in the sky, whatever you call that, that waiting, you know, before you get into the lobby. And he says, lady, we have a mutual friend. I looked at him and I said, you gotta be military with a haircut like that. I said, I don't know anybody in Colorado Springs the military. He said, I am in the military. But he said, we have a mutual friend and he's a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. I said, how do you know I know him? He said, I watched you on the airplane. Now that's a scary thing. <laughs> he said, I watched you on the airplane you were reading your Bible. I said, yes sir. That's right, I know him. I'm trying to get to Washington. I'm trying to get to Virginia Beach to be on the 700 Club to try to talk about Jesus, but it doesn't look like I'm gonna make it. He said, he, he, he looked up there, he got the monitor, he grabbed my, my uh, carry-on luggage. He ran and they held that at the gate till I could get on. And I didn't even have time to tell him that the, that the sign I've had in my office all since I started writing books is my boss is a Jewish carpenter. Let me tell you about my friend named Joanne. I talked to her today. She's one year older than me. And a lot bolder. <laughs> She's always saying to me, she drove me all over the United States when I was speaking. She'd say, I got a word for you. I said, what is it? She said, pray in tongues more, pray in tongues more. I called her today. I said, oh, Joanne, you got to pray in tongues. I'm going to be in front of that AG church tonight. <laughs> she loves you. She's praying for us, but let me tell you what happened. We were in a drugstore. We'd gone to a Globe conference. We were in a drugstore that afternoon having our tea, and she'd tell me about the story she'd seen on TV of this healing. Well, I couldn't get that on my cable. I didn't have cable TV, and she just was going on and on about how Jesus was so real, how Jesus was healing this person. And there was a man three, three stools down on the drugstore counter, and he's reading his newspaper like this. And when I said, well, isn't Jesus wonderful? And that man threw that newspaper down. He said, all right, I'm ready. I will get baptized. Sunday, Sunday, I'll get baptized. I will. And he ran out of that drugstore. And that's what praying continually and lifting up the name of Jesus will do. She and I were on a plane. I was going to be in Europe for a month of ministry. She was sitting here on the plane. I'm here. There's a guy here and his daddy across next to him. And the man died on the plane. What do you do when somebody dies on the plane? They went crazy. 
They went crazy. George is just crying. People want to be moved. Jewish lady said her kids couldn't look on a dead body. They was going crazy. And Joanne just gets up. She's real short, and she could barely stand up with her bent over like this. She started singing in the spirit, just singing in the spirit, calling God down. Then she switched to humming hymns. I have never seen anything calm down so fast in all my life. It's the presence of the Lord came in that little spot where we were. Now, the guy sitting next to me, he's Muslim. That's his daddy just died. He just got him out of the hospital in Houston where he had surgery. Now, I'm trying to talk to the Muslim man who just lost his daddy. And all I can think about is I'm going to ask the God I love and serve to comfort you with the comfort only he can give you. And so we are trying. We never, we got to Frankfurt that night. We were an hour and a half. We had to fly with the dead man an hour and a half before we landed. And that night, Joanne said, I guess God knew where to put us on the airplane because we were the only ones that could pray and talk and, and try to bring some order to that. I want to read you an obituary from my friend from Freeport. <laughs> this was in the 1980s when I knew her. But let me read you. <clears throat> we used to go to her real estate office and have impromptu prayer prayer. Uh, meetings or never knew who was going to show up in the 1980s. But this is what her obituary in the newspaper said. It, it put her life boldly in her obituary. It said, it had her name and it had the dates, 1930-2008. And a statement, on a glorious blue sky afternoon on April the 16th, the heavens in indescribable beauty welcomed Dolores, told about her husband who died, told about her business, and then this is how it ended. The Lord blessed Dolores with his heart. She was quick to give if you were in need, but should you whisper, pray for me, in Kelly's grocery store, be prepared for an out loud Pentecostal hell shaking hallelujah response right there between the Jim Dandy grits and the black eyed peas. <laughs> the world has lost, <laughs> the world has lost a warrior of righteousness and heaven has received another faithful servant. She will be sorely missed. That's in her obituary. I called her son up that wrote it, and I said, do I have permission to put that in a book? I want you to sign it. And I have it in two of my books, her obituary. I hope it made you smile. It did mine. My, back, my dash is still being lived out. My race is still being run. And I hope when mine is over, they can put on my tombstone, she finished the race. Well, isn't that your hope? Isn't that what you want? Have you ever heard this? This definition of legacy, the difference in a legacy and an in, in, in in inheritance. An inheritance is something you leave to someone. And a legacy, something you leave in someone. So John Maxwell said, live the legacy you want to leave because people live on after you're gone. And I think that's what God would have us to do. So let's pray. Father God, we're in a battle for the soul of our nation. 
we cry out for a new spiritual awakening in America. May men and women who stand for life, religious freedom, and godly values be elected and supported in local, state, and national elections. Help us as Christians be responsible voters and use the Bible as our plumb line. Lord, I ask you to give godly wisdom to the president, vice president, cabinet, members of Congress and Senate, and those in the judicial branch. May truth and discernment guide their decisions, both in their public and private lives. Lord, give the youth of our nation hearts to follow you. May they live godly lives and fulfill your purpose for them. Raise up a generation of young people who will do great exploits for you. Lord, I thank you for our pastors and their families. And I ask your blessing and protection on them. And for the families in America, Lord, we ask you to be our shield and our protector. Heavenly Father, we give you all the glory and honor and praise to you, our Creator, and to Jesus, our Savior and Lord, and to our teacher and comforter, the precious Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you very much for allowing me to Amen. Amen. You can have that one if you like. I know what time it is. It's 7.40 p.m. And we normally wrap up at 7.45, but who will give me just one, one more minute? One minute, two minutes, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I'm up to 11 minutes. Thank you. Now we will get you out of here. I, you know, the only thing about which I disagreed was when you said I asked you to, to do this because you're the oldest warrior in the church. No, not the church here. Not in the church. There's some people older than me. Oh. I. You are just on fire. That's why I asked you. Like, Jesus, I'm. You can say whatever you want. This I is a book. Care. I didn't bring this book. Lord, I pray. I need to pray with power. But let me tell you why I appreciate Phil so much. I first started visiting here, and Phil had all these people up here to give their testimony. And I have six in this book. I didn't bring any because I don't have any here. But let me tell you something. One book guy that ushers in your church that sits right down here, Robert Bear. I pray for him every Thursday. He's in my bean patch because I heard him, Phil let him give a testimony and he goes to the prison every Tuesday. I wake up on Tuesday mornings and I say, it's Tuesday, you gotta bless Robert. He's going to the prison tonight. So I think all of us will get a certain person in the church as God will show you what to do. But can I show my book? I'm just here to support. He, he limits me, y'all. He limits me. The only church that's ever limited me. Well, I gave her 15 minutes. She told me before she got up here, she said, listen, I've timed it. I've already edited it. I'm at 21. Is that okay? <laughs> he gave me 15 minutes. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay, a Woman's Guide to Spiritual Warfare is full of prayers. The back. Always look at the appendix. You autographed a copy of that for me. Yep. Pray for your children. A lot of, of praying for both young and for... 
Adults. Are these in the back? Yeah, they're back there. Okay. And hope for our widow's heart. This is this is very much needed today because widows are so uh, needful to have their hope renewed. But I have three pages in the back that a lawyer helped me to write before you become a widow for death do you part. And so that helped you because you have no idea the paperwork you go through. Self-publish is cast your shadow on this a mentoring book, the influence on purpose. The only book you self-published out of the going on 32, is that right? 31's your next one? Okay. So you have published, nothing is self-publishing, but you have had the market say, we want 30 of your books, and one of those books sold over 300,000 copies. That's for real. It's because of God, but I'm not here to talk. I know. I'm, I'm just, what I have, if I've missed anything, is that each one of us have something in here yeah. that we've got to go and give. I'm, I mean, I mentor by email because I don't have that many people to mentor. She's looking for mentees. <laughs> the woman on the front row raised her hand. Second row. What is prayer? What? What is prayer? Talking to God, communication, talking and listening. What do you say to those who really wrestle with prayer? Not wrestle in prayer, but just, prayer's just, it's hard for some people. What do you say to them? Just keep at it, day by day. But it's just a, a conversation, just a conversation with God. Tell him everything. Especially if you're a widow. You got no husband to complain to. <laughs> I was talking to Liz on the phone earlier. She must have had me on speaker. Because I, I said, Quinn Shearer speaking. I've been talking about you all week. Quinn Shearer speaking. And I said, I love her. And my eight-year-old son said, what, Daddy? You love who? I said, it's okay. Say, Mommy knows. <laughs> when did prayer really become a thing for you? Did you just come out of the womb praying yeah. in tongues? Or like, how did that kids, work? Once you had kids. kids, brother, you learned to pray. When you had kids. Did you hit your stride when you had kids? Like, that's when it... Oh, brother, did I? Yeah. Okay. When you had but kids. But I have always had a heart for prayer because I know that it's why we're here, to talk to God, to glorify Him, to give Him honor, give Him glory, yeah. lift up the name of Jesus. I, f I really mean this. I, I, f I feel like you're just getting started. Like, I, I feel like these next years, however long the Lord gives any of us, I pray that he just gives you clarity of thought and the words flow from, from God's mouth into your fingers and you're able to impact a generation. Because you're, you're impacting me. I mean, I seriously. Not, can I tell, I tell you, Phil about that. Just can so I tell you, know, you one God, short this, story? On my fire. husband and I got married on Christmas Day. And the first Christmas after I lost my husband, I didn't want to celebrate Christmas. I've been married 54 years and I did not want to go through Christmas. And so I went to the cemetery. He's buried in Destin, right in the corner of the very corner of the lot. And I went there and I sat on his grave and I spent 30 minutes reading the Word of God, crying out, reading the Word of God. Why, you are my husband, God. You are, you're my keeper. You're uh, the 23rd Psalm. I just kept on crying out. And the Lord said to me, What do you see? And I looked around. I was the only one in that cemetery. I said, Well, a lot of dead people out here. God said, that's right, you're the only one alive, so get up and act alive. 
And that was my turning point, that I would go home and have Christmas and be with my family because God said that I still had a few years left to go home and act alive. So you just dropped the mic. That's okay. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's a saying um, that there, there's spirits don't age. Like you're, you're, you're just impacting a generation. And I, I pray that even the thing that, like Brandon, you're, you're going to edit that video. And we're going to send that sucker all over the world. That, that your life and your ministry uh, would just be a legacy. And I'm, I'm just glad that you're in our church. Brother Phil, because when I joined this church, I said, Phil, Pastor, look at me. I said, do you accept me just as I am? You're not going to throw me out? And he said, just as you are, yeah. I'll accept you. And we need to hear that. Yeah. We need to hear that from our leaders, that they will accept us. The personality God put in us, each of us is different and unique. And we all bring something to the body of Christ. You know, Pastor Phil turned to me one day. He said, Tommy, can you get... Quinn Shearer a copy of the membership book. I said, yes, sir. I said, you know, the next membership thing ain't for a while. He said, she ain't got to go through the class, son. <laughs> Something like that. We, we, you, you, the answer with you, Miss Quinn, is yes and amen. Well, uh, you know, you're going to be at the back. You're going to be uh, with, with your books. and There she is. So, Hey, one more time, would you, would you just bless this congregation? Would you pray for them and, and just send us out? Lord, I thank you for the faithful ones that have been out tonight on a Wednesday night. I thank you for each one that you have put a key into their heart, and a key of going out. And when you say, go, we go. When you say, stop, you stop. When you say, the door's open, we go through it. When you say, the door's closed, we accept it. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this church. And I ask that you raise up many, many prayer warriors out of this place. I ask, Father, that we begin to intercede for our uh, nation, that we begin to intercede for our city, that we, in fact, God, I even have a special place that I go to just to go to to pray for this city. And each of us have an assignment. So I call forth this church to be that part of the body of Christ in Niceville, Florida, that will fulfill the destiny that God has given the vision to, to the leaders of this church in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next week. We have Dan Early and Hannah Nowers next week. Yes. What it, hey, why don't you come here on Wednesday night, and you'll be here alone. It'll be Wednesday after next, okay? Everybody go buy her books because we don't want her to have to take them home. <laughs>